It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Tuesday, January 12, 2021. On today's episode, Hershey Dwoskin with In the Headlines. Here's Hershey. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Well, what a week uh, we have and what a week we're still uh, living in. Um, you know, the old uh, Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. I think we certainly have benefited from that uh, wish. So before I, I, obviously, I would like to speak about the events of the week. Uh, I think that's definitely uh, worthwhile to explore. Uh, I'd like to begin by saying, as a follow-up to last week, um, that uh, during the past week, the momentous um, results of the Georgia elections came through Uh, And in a most unlikely way, and in a way I did not predict, uh, the Democrats won both races. What's uh, interesting is that although uh, Georgia voted for the Democrats in the presidential election by a 12,000 majority, the two candidates for Senate won by a much bigger majority than that. So uh, the reason for it, obviously, I would say, is not that some Republicans changed their mind and voted for the Democrats. It's just that some Republicans just didn't bother voting this time. And the Democrats were able to bring out their supporters. And so um, both candidates, Mr. Warnock and Ossoff, both won. And that means that as of now, the Senate is divided in the U.S. Senate is divided 50-50. And what that means is effectively the Democrats take control since um, the tie-breaking vote is the vice president who is the uh, uh, chairperson of the Senate. And so therefore uh, the votes would be 51 to 50 if the senators voted on a strictly uh, party basis. So that's extremely significant because it means that uh, the head of the executive, the president, the head of the Senate and the head of the um, House of Representatives all belong to one party. And it means that effectively that Mr. Biden will make it more easy for him to carry out um, some of the legislation that he wants to and needs to do. So this is quite a significant um, uh, happening last week. And uh, part of it may certainly be due to uh, President Trump's behavior after the election, uh, calling it a fraud. And uh, this is essentially what led to the events of this week. So um, the um, uh, president refused to accept the results of the election, uh, even though he lost it by uh, quite a large margin. In the uh, electoral college, he lost it 306 to 232. And in the popular vote, he lost by 7 million. So that's quite a large Uh, uh, majority for President Biden. Ironically, in the previous election, Trump had won the Electoral College by exactly the same amount, but he lost the popular vote, and he called that a tremendous landslide. So um, uh, what he uh, continued to do by not accepting this result and by calling it fake is to proceed with a whole series of legal challenges, somehow more than 60, which all were tossed out. And uh, what he was hoping somehow 
is that the last uh, step before he um, officially uh, is put out of office is that in the in the official tabulation of the vote that somehow Vice President Pence, who was who the chairman of that count, would somehow overturn the count and uh, declare President uh, Trump the winner of the election. Of course, this has never happened before. Um, there was once an objection to a, um, a formal count of the electoral votes, and that happened in 1876. And that's because um, it was a very confusing election and several states presented more than one list of electors to be uh, approved. And therefore it was in the end, um, the house had to uh, vote to determine the results of the election. But nothing like that happened this time. The election was very clear and uh, Vice President Pence had no choice but to um, formalize uh, uh, President Biden's victory. So um, Trump was very upset and, um, you know, he, he gave a speech to his followers who gathered in Washington and asked them to go and fight for your country. And, you know, what we saw on television is what we saw. Now, this was the first invasion of the capital by hostile forces since the British um, uh, burnt the White House down and the Capitol down in 1812, I think it was, or 13. And uh, it was a shock really to everyone simply because uh, no one could believe that this level of violence could take place. Now, nobody knows for sure what the intention was of some of the um, participants. Were they going to sort of um, uh, take the, uh, lead, the, le the leaders hostage? Were they going to kill them? There were calls to execute Mike Pence. There were, I think that some of the most hot-headed ones would have actually committed, uh, you know, uh, attacks on the elected legislators. In any case, uh, this was all carried live on TV, and everyone saw what it was. Um, the uh, the um, uh, you know. President Trump, in a way, telegraphed his intentions at the beginning because he said that before the elections, he said the elections would be rigged and that if he loses the election, it has to be fraud. Um, and so when he did lose the election, his followers believed that there was fraud and they believed that they could do something about it. Now, why, um, why did the president say the vote would be rigged? Um, because he knew he was going to lose the election. A polls never showed him ahead. His approval rating was always under 50%. Um, in 2018, there were huge losses for the Republicans in the midterm elections. Um, and um, so he, uh, he is a person who can't accept loss. And therefore, he said, if I do lose, it has to be somehow uh, fake. The arrival of the COVID uh, epidemic, of course, led to many mail-in ballots. And for Trump, this was a way of an excuse of saying, well, there must be something wrong with a mail-in ballot because people don't show up themselves to vote. And, uh, you know, he put two and two together and therefore called it a rigged election. Um, he is a sore loser. 
Um, uh, and he's a person, of course, who is so narcissistic, a person with no morality or principles and so egoistic and such a cheat that um, he had to, uh, he felt he had to use all of these um, uh, characteristics of his personality to react to the results of the election. And uh, rather than unite the country and say, you know, the country is suffering, the country is in hard times, let's all unite behind the new president. He couldn't bear to do that because the way he was brought up, uh, one can never lose. You have to fight all the time and uh, you never apologize, never admit you're wrong and uh, never be a loser. That's what his father taught him and that's the way he's led his life from the very beginning. Um, uh, people who are followers of American politics and people who kind of could look ahead uh, could have predicted from the very first day that Trump was elected that something like this could happen. Um, he, uh, and, and that's because he has no regard for what objective facts are or what the truth is. Uh, you remember that even before he was elected, he claimed that Obama was not an American, that he was some sort of a, a Muslim uh, interloper, um, that he claimed that the crowd on the inauguration day when President Trump was inaugurated was the biggest crowd ever. And uh, when uh, TV um, shows uh, put pictures uh, one next to another and showed the public that Obama's crowd was bigger, he just refused to believe it. And uh, that's where the uh, phrase alternate facts came in. In other words, he lives in his own reality. His spokesman said, well, we believe in alternate facts, but you know, something like this is very clear. And so from the very beginning, um, you know, he uh, began lying and, um, you know, some people who keep uh, track of these things counted uh, over, well, I can't remember how many, but it's over 20,000 lies that he told during his presidency. Uh, when the media challenged his lies, he just changed media. He just said, well, the media is the enemy. Um, and he went to um, news broadcasters that were more friendly to him, like Fox News. And, um, you know, he, he began to tell the public that you can't trust the media because they're against me. And, uh, and so what you had is a division in the United States between those uh, who were with him and against him. The media uh, similarly divided into uh, the media who were um, his spokesmen and the media who were, let's call it, more objective. Um, the uh, the COVID uh, epidemic, uh, of course, is really what sunk Trump uh, because it dropped the economy from where it was when he took over. And uh, because Trump is an ignorer of reality and an ignorer of everything that goes against him, he basically wanted to ignore the epidemic. And by doing so, he made it worse. Uh, he certainly convinced his followers that um, uh, the COVID was no threat, that mask wearing was not a good thing. And this resulted, of course, in we all know that the um, U.S. Uh, death toll is going to hit over 400,000 uh, dead 
certainly before spring. And, um, uh, you know, along with the, his uh, denial of reality came corruption, uh, came um, the uh, phone calls to uh, the Ukrainian leadership saying that unless you find uh, fault with my enemies, I won't give you aid. And he was impeached for that reason uh, for the first time by the House, but not convicted in the Senate because the Republicans had control of the Senate. Uh, he practiced nepotism by hiring all of his relatives to, uh, to uh, big jobs. Um, he uh, refused to put his um, uh, financial holdings in a blind trust. He kept running his businesses while he was president. Um, you know, he, he broke every convention and every rule that he possibly could because, as he said, um, you know, even if I shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, no one will come to get me. And he believed that the president had unlimited powers. Um, you know, his, his, his way of thinking was everything is transactional. In other words, you do something for me and I'll do something for you. And when he named Supreme Court justices, he did it with the expectation that they, if, if, enter, if, any, if ever any of his um, cases came up, that they would find in, in his favor because he nominated them uh, to the Supreme Court. Um, he succeeded in building a power base. He was a very, he is a very charismatic politician. Um, he was able to reach out to and touch the hearts of people who felt that they were neglected by previous politicians and previous administrations. Um, and this power, uh, this loyalty uh, proved to uh, Trump that he um, had a kind of a, uh, a marching army who could uh, defend him uh, no matter what happens. The fact that he built such a strong base intimidated other Republicans from challenging him um, either uh, politically or challenging him factually or challenging him in any way, um, you know, when, when primary time came up, when it was time to choose new candidates, he said, well, Unless you're loyal to me personally, I won't endorse you. And, um, and so many of his uh, opponents within the Republican Party, like Jeff Flake, decided not to run again. And um, for the most part, when uh, candidates were chosen, they were chosen for their loyalty to him. So uh, he did build a powerful uh, Republican Party. Uh, and as, as you all know, he did receive 74 million votes in the, uh, in the um, presidential elections. Um, now, uh, the problem with having um, supporters who are so convinced uh, and so dedicated is that when reality happens, uh, the challenge, the, the reality that they believe in, uh, these people are in shock. And somehow they say it can't be right. You know, you might have seen on TV, there are so many people who were so convinced that Trump won the election simply because they were uh, told a reality that they believed in so much. Um, and when this reality proved to be wrong, they were kind of at a loss of what to do and um, 
you know, Trump uh, convinced them that he could never lose. Uh, and therefore, you know, the only reaction they could do is somehow to follow his um, his orders in a way and to, uh, you know, come out to protest in Washington and in other places. Um, uh, Trump, uh, his whole life, you know, as I said before, can't lose, never apologizes. Um, that, you know, the only reaction to uh, sort of misfortune is to fight. And, um, you know, people are, you know, wondering about his mental state in a way, you know, did he know, did he, was he convinced of the things that he himself said? Does he really know that he lost fair and square? Or does he really believe somehow that he was cheated? And I don't think that there's an answer to this. I don't think anybody can really know what's in his own head. Um, you know, my personal belief is, of course, he knows that he lost, but he, he, he can't admit it to himself that he did. Because of his um, strength, in a way, the Republicans who should have acted as a break on him and, and as a kind of a controlling um, force on him, uh, gave him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, they allowed all his legal challenges to go on. They allowed all the recounts to go on. Um, Trump really wasn't interested in a recount or in knowing the true result, uh, but he was interested in somehow overthrowing the result. The call to the Georgia Secretary of State, which uh, you know was broadcast, uh, asking the Georgia Secretary of State to fraudulently change the results of the election, was proof that Trump was not really interested in knowing what the real results were, but simply to win at any cost and at any means. And uh, as you all know, and as you all have heard, the, um, the House of Representatives are going to take up a, an impeachment vote, and they want to impeach him for what he did in his speech. But I, I personally think that's not the right, uh, as, as bad as his speech was, and it's true it resulted in all of that violence, but I think it was much worse for him to call up the Secretary of State and ask him to change votes in the election because that's clearly a fraudulent uh, manner of taking the people's vote away from them. And uh, it's just the most corrupt thing that a politician can do. You can compare this sort of behavior to uh, other foreign governments, people say like Banana Republics, uh, Maduro in, in uh, Venezuela did the same thing. He's, you know, he fraudulently won an election the, in Belarus, Mr. Lukashenko claimed he got 84% of the vote. Uh, well, Trump really, if he could, he would have changed the results of the vote in all of the close races and then declared himself the winner. So, uh, you know, he's gone down to that level. Um, uh, and in a way, it's a, an overthrowing of democracy. And I would personally call that sort of treason. Now, I just want to divert a little bit on this, uh, on this um, discussion uh, because um, many people were calling Trump's behavior sort of fascistic and I wanted to just take a quick look at what fascism is and how do you know, how do you know what fascism is? How can you identify it? Um, and the reason is because some of, many of the elements of his behavior uh, are fascistic. 
And so uh, we know that fascism was a movement uh, uh, in the uh, 20th uh, century, which started in Italy and then, of course, spread uh, to Germany with all of the horrible results that happened. Um, um, there are some elements that characterize what fascism is. And one is a, a strong leader uh, based on his personality and a charismatic leader, a belief in a strong state, a belief that any opposition is disloyal to, uh, to the state, uh, a belief that the press must be loyal and controlled, uh, a belief that liberal democracy is obsolete, that pluralism is obsolete, that compromising is, is, is not good, uh, that protecting minorities in different points of view is just a sign of weakness. Um, and uh, the um, tools that fascism used was the big lie. In other words, the big lie meaning if you tell a lie uh, that's uh, big, that's monumental, and you repeat it often enough, uh, and you continue to lie, eventually people say, well, it must be right. And, um, uh, you know, this was a tactic that Mussolini used. It was a tactic that Hitler used. And, um, uh, you know, when we think about this, um, that, um, uh, you know, the other, the other elements of fascism is that, you know, that there, you, you have to find something to oppose. And uh, internal enemies, uh, that the, the state is being betrayed by its enemies. Um, the, the, you know, the big lie was that Germany was betrayed by uh, the Jews, um, you know, after the First World War, uh, that um, uh, liberal democracy was, was aimed at weakening Germany. Uh, the mil militant nationalism is part of the sort of a soup of fascism that uh, on the economic front, you have to be self-sufficient. Uh, carrying out trade wars is a good idea because it, it, it kind of, you know, weakens your enemies by not importing from them and, um, you know, strengthens your country by producing everything at home. Uh, that violence is a good thing to do as a tool to control people. And... Um, uh, when you think of all these different ingredients that I just mentioned, and you measure them up against Trump's behavior, it sort of, sort of all fits. Um, you know, a strong uh, leader based on personality, uh, that the opposition is disloyal, uh, the press is, is something that's suspect, uh, liberal democracy is not a good thing, uh, treatment of minorities uh, is a bad idea. Uh, good treatment of minorities, protecting minorities is a bad idea. Uh, trade wars are a good idea. Uh, that violence is sometimes a good idea. Remember Trump telling his supporters to uh, beat up hecklers when he was running for office and calling uh, on uh, the state to lock up Hillary Clinton. Um, that martial law could be used to control uh, society and throw opponents in jail which is what he wanted to do with Hillary Clinton, to lock her up. Um, uh, that minorities are to blame for society's problems. Uh, for Trump, uh, these would be uh, Mexicans and Central Americans coming into the US, blacks rioting in the cities, 
Muslims trying to take over God knows what, um, feminism, pluralism, liberal, socialist cities, big taxes, universities, foreign aid, gun control, all of these things, you know, that Trump railed against are really um, kind of markers of saying that he wants an authoritarian state which has a viewpoint that, you know, only of his, um, not in Trump himself, but in a lot of his followers, there was an element of kind of, uh, we'll call it moralistic Christianity, um, where um, you know, people who, who, you know, who, who followed a, a kind of militant Christianity were the ones who should be rewarded in, in public. Um, you know, and his appeal to white, uneducated people, telling him he's been che- they've been cheated by the elites, by the universities, by the mainstream media. All of these things are hallmarks of fascism. Um, Trump, however, was an incompetent fascist. He didn't, you know, had you had, in a way, uh, the same ingredients that Trump had, but a leader who was determined to take full power with an organization and a plan, uh, he could have gone a lot farther than he did. And uh, in a way, Trump was disinterested. He, wa- he wasn't interested in being president. He was interested in the, uh, you know, sort of uh, trappings of the presidency and the awards of the presidency, but not interested in, in kind of sitting down and planning on a day-to-day basis how to consolidate his power. Um, and so he had no goals, no, no real good organizations, uh, no plan to, in a way, try to co-op, um, the military, uh, to, uh, or even to create sort of a separate military arm to, to help him. He never got into that. So now let's talk a little bit about what happened, uh, last week. Um, and some people were calling it a coup. Some people are calling it an insurrection. Uh, you, you know, was it a coup? Was it an insurrection or was it a riot? And each of these um, sort of, uh, let's say, uh, elements have a different sort of meaning. And, um, you, you know, on, on a first take, you would say, well, it was more of a riot than anything else because it wasn't really organized. There was no coup in a sense that there wasn't a plan to have somebody take over the government in a way or to have Trump uh, force Trump to to force the hand of the legislature to keep Trump in power. Um, It wasn't an insurrection in the sense of having a very militant uh, uh, using force to take over the government themselves. Um, so in, in that sense, in that sense, it was a kind of a, kind of a, a mass riot, uh, a kind of a venting of frustration in a way more than anything else. Uh, but that's only one point of view. The other point of view is to say, um, that in a way it was a coup. When you think of, uh, a coup, um, uh, a coup not to take over the government, but a coup to, to maintain in power somebody who had no right to stay in power. Um, and we have elements of that. We have examples of that. 
Um, Mr. Maduro in Venezuela uh, staged an election that he claimed he won to keep himself in power because he was in power before. Uh, you might recall in, uh, in Turkey, there were municipal elections in Istanbul, which Mr. Erdogan's party lost. And Mr. Erdogan just uh, bullied the, the, the judiciary to uh, order a new election, which he lost by even a greater margin. Um, Mr. Trump tried to uh, get the military on his side. You might remember when he ordered the military to show up to clear the uh, Washington of protesters of Black Lives Matter so that he could walk over to a church. Um, he tried to take over the communication. Normally in a coup, uh, in the olden days, you shut the presses down, you uh, took over the television and radio stations. And uh, although he didn't do it in this instance, uh, he did have uh, loyal uh, networks, which he could call out on, call out to, and have these networks broadcast like Fox News or these other ones, Newsmax or One American Network, OAN, to broadcast anything he wanted. Um, another uh, element of a coup is to suborn the judiciary, which of course he tried to do and uh, by nominating three Supreme Court justices. He was expecting that if ever his case came up to the Supreme Court that they would rule in his favor. Of course, what happened was that his, his, uh, he tried to go directly this, to the Supreme Court with his challenges to the results in Pennsylvania um, and I believe other states and the Supreme Court refused to look at it because there were no, there was no, nothing there, there. There was no, not one shred of proof of election malfeasance took place in this election. There wasn't uh, hardly, um, you know, any proof of people voting uh, who shouldn't have been voting. There were no cases of people under 18 voting. There were no cases of dead people voting. And when I say no, I mean a handful out of 150 million votes. Um, there were more than 150 million votes. There was, you know, under 10, there were two cases of dead people voting in Georgia. Uh, when they did all the recounts, they came within one ten thousandth of 1% of the results, um, which they counted the first time. So that's practically the same. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Trump tried to uh, uh, sort of uh, suborn uh, the government and the legislatures to do what he wanted. And he succeeded to, a, to a, an uncanny degree, you know, at the last minute to get the uh, Republicans in the House of Representatives to oppose the results of the election. Uh, two thirds of them opposed it. And uh, I mean, this is really record breaking and so, so disheartening for the rule of law uh, because there was absolutely no evidence uh, of um, malfeasance in the elections. If you compare this to the 2000 election when Gore uh, and uh, Bush uh, fought against each other, and there the election was hinged on just one state, the state of Florida. And out of, uh, I can't remember how many million, about 10 million votes were cast. And in the end, the, the, the last sort of count came down to 537 vote majority for Bush, and, and they really didn't finish looking at all the votes again. Uh, the case went up to the Supreme Court to decide what to do about it, and 
by five to four uh, majority, in other words, five conservatives and four liberals, they voted that Bush should be president. And I mean, that's a real contested election. Imagine if it happened like that this time. Imagine the the chaos that would have been created this time had it happened the way it was last time. It was this time Trump lost, you, you know, by at least three states. And so, you know, even if he had succeeded to suborn the uh, the uh, Secretary of State of Georgia to change the results, it wouldn't have made any difference in the in the long run. So, um, you know, the the um, the. Uh, the riot that took place um, was uh, something that was needless uh, because, um, you know, uh, President Trump could have said in, in the first place that he lost the election, but of course he, he didn't do that. The point should be drawn up as to why, you know, how the rioters succeeded in penetrating the Capitol. And um, it's getting to be clear that uh, the president uh, refused to, uh, to um, uh, agree to send extra, uh, extra reinforcements to the Capitol Police. Um, in a certain sense, uh, the, the, the police force regard, um, protecting the Capitol was not prepared at all for a bunch of um, white nationalists, even though the, the, um, the media was, uh, uh, social media was full of their threats. Um, the contrast between the Black Lives Matter protests in Washington where the uh, Capitol was surrounded by uh, baton wheeling uh, uh, police uh, and this uh, time is huge. Uh, some people that I've spoken to were saying, uh, you know, my daughter lived in Washington for four years and she said that the, um, the uh, sort of police guarding the Capitol are more like uh, glorified um, ushers uh, than anything else. And they have no real training to, um, to uh, deal with a riot. They're much more like, uh, you know, please take off your hat and please uh, speak quietly and don't litter and this type of thing. So uh, they're not a real sort of defense force is what, which is what they needed. Um, uh, the, uh, so the chain of responsibility for this riot goes, starts with the president, but goes down to the Republicans and the alternative media and the different groups that took part in this riot. And you might've all seen pictures of of various uh, QAnon um, demonstrators, uh, white power demonstrators, the the Boogaloo Boys, um, uh, Proud Boys, uh, the gun lobbyists, anti-Semites wearing uh, you know uh, Auschwitz uh, T-shirts. Um, it was a hardcore group of people who came. Uh, some of them came armed. Some of them had, you know, those tie, plastic ties to, to take hostages. Uh, they had battering rams to knock down doors. They certainly broke windows, caused all kinds of damage, stole uh, materials that were in the Capitol and defaced the Capitol. Um, now, uh, 
Um, I wanted to read uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, speech uh, and um, where he said he compared the, um, the events to uh, Kristallnacht. And you might see a lot of, um, a lot of uh, references to this. But Arnold Schwarzenegger gave a remarkable talk about how he felt about this riot. And although he did not say that the riot was the same as the Kristallnacht, the breaking of the windows by a mob is, is what they do have in common. And you may remember, of course, that Kristallnacht happened in 1938 in Germany and Austria. And uh, in that uh, event, uh, Jews were murdered, robbed, raped, synagogues were burnt down, 30,000 people were arrested. The Jews were fined for all the damages. And it was really the beginning of the, it wasn't the beginning of the end, but it was the end of the end of In a call for unity following Wednesday's siege of the Capitol, former governor Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, said President Trump will re be remembered as the worst president in US history. Remember Schwarzenegger was a Republican, governor of California. And he urged Americans to offer their support to President Joe Biden. We need to heal together from the drama what just happened, Schwarzenegger said in a seven and a half minute video posted on Twitter. We need to heal not as Republicans or as Democrats, but as Americans. Schwarzenegger drew on his childhood in Austria in the wake of World War II, warning of the threat posed by repeated lies and intolerance. He compared Wednesday's riot at the US Capitol by a pro-Trump mob to Kristallnacht, also known as the Night of Broken Glass, the rampage of violence by the Nazi regime against Jewish communities, synagogues, and businesses in Germany and Austria in 1938. Remember that in 1938, Austria was already part of Germany, had been annexed. Wednesday was the day of broken glass right here in the US, he said, referring to the broken windows in the Capitol building. But the mob also shattered the ideas we took for granted and trampled the very principles on which our country was founded, he said. So um, that's really the, uh, the, the essence of what he said. You can look up his seven minute speech. And uh, it, it was uh, quite a, um, a good reminder of where things can go uh, wrong and where things can go if a, a determined mob gets control of um, uh, you know, the streets. Um, now uh, let's have a look um, at uh, the um, the uh, the results of all this, where all this can go. First of all, the the terrible reputation and the terrible uh, yeah the, the the terrible image of the U.S. being attacked by its own citizens is something that weakened the United States uh, probably for in in the eyes of the whole world. Uh, and this damage will last for a very long time. Uh, America's enemies, uh, China and Russia, were showing all these riots on TV and saying, well, you know, look at them and look at us. Uh, the United States is not a real strong country. It's not a real democracy. It can't control its own people. Um, its elections are somehow challenged. And America, which holds itself up as a beacon of democracy, 
um, look so bad in the eyes of the rest of the world. For countries that America in the past was hoping to serve as an example for, for African countries sort of new to democracy, for South American and Central American countries that were kind of uh, teetering between dictatorship and democracy, um, what kind of example does this have for these countries, you know, who are facing all kinds of internal challenges to their own uh, democratic systems? So um, it, it's uh, kind of uh, uh, turns the United States into a sort of banana republic. And, and some people, when hearing that, are saying, you know, this is an insult to banana republics. Um, the... Um, the, the real threats to the U.S., the, the Russian hack, hack of um, computers in all of the, in many of the uh, American government agencies, the threats to the outside threats to the U.S. by, uh, you know, Iran building up their nuclear supplies. Um, all of these kind of outside threats now become uh, move to the background because the United States is in a way sort of uh, eating itself up. It's threatening its own self. Um, you might have heard that there are calls for demonstrations for this coming week on January the 17th and on January the 20th. Um, there have been calls for riots at each of the state capitals to express their, uh, the, you know, the displeasure of Trump's followers with the election results. And finally, the FBI and the CIA are waking up to these threats and have decided to turn Washington into an armed camp. Uh, whether Biden will be inaugurated inside or outside is still kind of up in the air. And uh, it, it's a time of tremendous tension in the country because the transition, and as I've said in weeks past, the transition between the election itself and the inauguration is, is a, when a different party wins the election, it's, it's really a time of tremendous instability. And Trump, rather than a kind of allowing for a smooth transition, has done his best to sort of dig in his heels uh, and, and prevent a smooth transition. So uh, what's being discussed now and you might have heard about this, is uh, the, um, the uh, Democrats are calling for uh, Vice President Pence to invoke Article 25 um, of the Constitution, uh, 25th Amendment, which was something that was put into effect after President Kennedy was shot. And this was a, a sort of a, a say, something to say well, what happens if a president is incapable of fulfilling his functions? How do you transfer power to a new president? And the way that's done uh, is that, uh, at least on a temporary basis, is that uh, the vice president and a majority of the cabinet have to rule that the president is incapable of fulfilling his functions and power is, is passed over to you know, the vice president. Now, the president has a right to object to this if he can, and then, of course, it ends up in a whole discussion. Um, and many of the uh, Democratic leaders are saying this is the best way to deal with this because it's fast. In other words, power is removed right away. 
Uh, personally, um, I think this would be a wrong application of this uh, 25th, uh, 25th uh, article because it was really meant to uh, work in a situation where the president has a stroke uh, or the president is uh, gravely ill or the president is undergoing some sort of operation. Uh, when Reagan was shot, uh, you know, he invoked that article and gave temporary power to his vice president. Um, it, it's not, it's not a meant to punish a president for bad behavior. It's meant to um, um, pass power on when the president is really physically unable to uh, fulfill his functions. So uh, it's very unlikely that, uh, that Vice President Pence wants to go through with this. Uh, he said he won't. And so the next idea is to impeach the president again. As you have all known, uh, he was impeached once. And to impeach a president, all it takes is a majority vote in the House of Representatives. And since the Democrats have the majority, uh, and since some Republicans said they would support it, it's likely that on Wednesday, this Wednesday, uh, tomorrow, that uh, the House will vote for a second time to impeach the president. Now, normally what happens after that is there's supposed to be a trial in the Senate, and then the Senate has to approve uh, the impeachment themselves. Uh, since there's no time for a trial, and since uh, you know President Trump's uh, term of office finishes on the uh, 20th, um, uh, there's talk that this impeachment trial may be carried out even after Biden becomes president. But what's the point of impeaching somebody once he's out of office? And the point is, is that if a person is impeached, um, he can't run for office again. And so this in a certain sense would be a way to block Trump from making a comeback in 2024. Um, it also has some other legal ramifications, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, uh, having to do with pensions and things like that. Um, uh, so this may be a plan forward, and this may be carried out uh, in the uh, in the in the term of uh, Biden's uh, term. But Biden is not that uh, sort of anxious to go through with this sort of trial because it will distract from his priorities, which are number one to get his cabinet uh, uh, confirmed by the Senate, and number two, to deal with the COVID um, epidemic, and number three, to deal with the economic consequences of that epidemic. So to go through a sort of divisive trial, when in a certain sense you're looking at um, 74 million supporters of Trump, uh, uh, you know, being told that your, your elected official is some sort of a incompetent uh, you know, uh, uh, criminal. Um, it's not the greatest way to start off a new, uh, a new, um, uh, you know, term. But independent actors on their own have taken steps already, as you might have heard. Uh, the biggest one being that uh, the president's golf tournament, the, the PGA, which was supposed to take place this spring at president's uh, uh, golf course in New Jersey, has been canceled or taken away from him. Uh, he's been kicked off of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, donors have st stopped uh, uh, donors uh, to to his and and all the other Republicans who backed his um, uh, you know his quest to cancel the elections. Donors have taken their money away. 
uh, uh, Senator Hawley's book was canceled in, um, in, in the, by the publisher. Um, um, his own cabinet has been deserting him. You know, he had three cabinet ministers quit this week. Uh, the uh, Foreign Affairs Department of the U.S. issued a statement saying that the U.S. is weakened by uh, what President Trump did. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's only beginning. The, um, there's investigations into uh, how uh, maybe some members of the Capitol Police Force uh, encouraged or aided or abetted the rioters. Uh, and so this, this riot has followed that will be lasting for years. And the constitutional challenge that President Trump mounted will be written about and studied and taught in universities maybe 100 years from now. Um, uh, Trump's legal problems are only beginning, and I think he's been greatly weakened by his actions of this week. So you know that, uh, you know, uh, Trump can be prosecuted in the state court for all his financial misdealings. And his series of pardons, that's the last thing that he's going to end up doing this week, uh, you know, pardoning all of his uh, friends and relatives um, and possibly pardoning himself. Uh, you, you know, this will be something ongoing. Um, lastly, I want to deal with a concept called the lost cause. And there was a good article about this in uh, the press this week. And um, this is a kind of a myth that could be built by his supporters saying that um, following uh, Trump's uh, de defeat that in a way he didn't really lose and um, it provides in, in a certain sense a solace for his supporters to keep uh, carrying on with this myth. And this myth is compared to the lost cause myth of the Civil War in the United States, that the, um, the Confederates uh, kept up for, for uh, you know, close to 100 years the idea that the South never, uh, although they lost the Civil War, that the, 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 um, the ideals that they fought for would still be important to... Uh, Americans in the southern states, uh, the lost cause that I was saying mentioned before about Germany and the First World War that they were betrayed, um, that uh, um, you know the, the 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 whites in the South had to in a way take revenge for their loss by mistreating blacks for a hundred years under the Jim Crow system. The the Confederate flags, the Confederate monuments. Uh, the names of the generals on military bases were put there uh, to sort of, uh, in a way, remember or, 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 or to get back the pride of the South. Um, and um, that in the same way, uh, Trump's followers could continue along with this sort of uh, act of betrayal and, um, you know, resentment, you know, into the future. Um, the... Uh, the, the fact that Trump did not, is not going to show up at the inauguration, he's not going to shake President Biden's hand, um, he's not going to give legitimacy to uh, the Biden presidency, and this could sort of uh, bring problems for 
um, uh, the future, especially if, if things go wrong in America and Biden needs the help of all Americans to overcome whatever challenge uh, it faces. And if he's dealing with half a hand, uh, it's gonna be a problem. Um, the Republicans could see themselves as martyrs and, and even revolutionaries in the future. And, uh, you know, I just want to end off by saying that um, the, 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 the sight of the Confederate flag inside the Capitol um, would, you know, is something that the Confederacy, in a way, wanted to have happen in the 1860s. And, of course, their military defeat prevented this. But now, you know, Trump supporters 150 years later show up with a Confederate flag. And, and this is, in a way, the ultimate shame of, uh, of what happened during the week and uh, uh, the, the sort of uh, shock that of people seeing this on television, uh, uh, along with all the damage, uh, finally brought if, 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 you know, at this very last minute in, in Trump's presidency brought some Republicans, and I'm saying some, to realize that this whole adventure of Trump was one big misadventure. So uh, we will, I'm going to end on that note. And, um, uh, you know, if you have uh, comments, questions, opinions, um, uh, do you think let me just ask, do you think this was a sort of an insurrection or do you think it was more of a kind of a, a mob uh, there to take selfies and to uh, sort of uh, say, you know, look at, you know, we've stood up for the president and uh, kind of uh, things just got a bit out of hand. Um, what's your opinion on that? So any questions, comments, I'm open now for discussion and, um, you know, let me know what you think. You know, when you watch this on television, um, what was, what was sort of what went through your minds? Uh, the, um, the shock, I think that uh, the allies of the United States, including in Canada and Great Britain, in Germany and France, all the major Western democracies sort of shuddered because you know, the United States is the leader of the free world and to see them so divided and so weakened and so physically attacked, uh, you know, put a shock in the minds of um, the leaders of the countries that I mentioned. And uh, of course, the, the, you know, underlying this as well, if it could happen in the United States, it could happen kind of anywhere, you know, in Japan or Korea, uh, uh, you know, or the Western democracies none of whom are bulletproof in a certain way. I see one question, Mr. Dwaskin. It's from yeah. uh, an anonymous Andy. And uh, the question is, how will the phone call to the governor of Jan uh, Georgia be handled? Can this be considered criminal? Uh, okay, so the phone call was to the Secretary of State, but the, you know, because the Secretary of State is the one who oversees election, and absolutely it's criminal. It's absolutely criminal because you're suborning, um, uh, you're, you're trying to get a, an officer of the state to act in an illegal manner. And President Trump was very clear. He said, find me 12,000 votes. 
And he, you know, he actually said, find me 11,780 votes. And he lost by 11,779 votes. So of course it is criminal. Um, but it, it the, you know, as you know, in, 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 in justice is a big step from knowing that something is um, criminal and actually deciding to prosecute it and then actually winning uh, that sort that prosecution. Um, and as I said, it may somehow be that Trump will pardon his own self because the president has unlimited pardoning uh, powers and maybe he'll say, well, okay, I just pardoned myself so I didn't, you know, you can't do anything to me. It's possible that that will be taken in, uh, taken up at that, at that point. And then the question is, does the president have power, powers to pardon himself? No president has ever done this. So, uh, he, you know, that would have to be um, uh, debated and decided on first. But for sure, it's a criminal act. And I think it's a worse act than the president standing on a podium, a podium and telling his supporters, well, you have to fight and you have to march on the Capitol. Because, you know, he can always say, well, you never took me seriously before. Um, you know, you know, I always exaggerate. You know, I'm sarcastic. Uh, so why take me seriously now? There's another question by anonymous attendee. Is there a possibility that Trump will resign at the last minute? Pence will become president and pardon Trump? Uh, yes, it's a possibility, but it's not going to happen. It's not likely. And I would say the reason is because in Trump's mind, he can never be weak. And um, only weak people resign. Uh, when President Nixon resigned, uh, Trump thought that was a mistake because uh, it was a sign of weakness. And Trump never quits and Trump never gives up. Um, uh, so I don't think he would do that. Um, I think he would pardon himself before uh, resigning the day before his term is up and allowing Pence to pardon him. The other point is, of course, that can he trust Pence to pardon him? Because um, once he resigns and has no power, uh, Pence was put in a very bad spot last week. You know, there were people calling for Pence's death for formalizing what was just a formal um, gesture to um, affirm the results of the Electoral College. And as you probably all have heard, the whole time that the Capitol was under siege and Pence was held in a sort of a, you know, a private uh, kind of safe room, uh, Trump never called him to find out what was going on or how he was doing. In fact, they didn't speak for a whole week until to, uh, today or yesterday, one of the two days when Trump finally met with him. And um, uh, I don't know if uh, Trump would trust Pence at this point. Okay, I have another question. It's yeah. from Deborah. Mm -hmm. And she's asking, like the Bushes, do you think one of Trump's sons could rise to power? Uh, extremely unlikely, I would say. Um, so, you know, Trump has two sons, Eric Jr. and Donald, uh, Donald Jr., who have uh, shown some interest in politics. Um, I would compare uh, Don Jr. to uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's son, Yair, which is that when you grow up as a spoiled child in a wealthy family, uh, with a kind of a, a strong-armed father, 
in order to prove yourself to your father, you have to be even more wild and even more strong-armed than he is, except that you don't have the you don't have the 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 upbringing and the street smarts and the uh, experience that um, the father had. Uh, and remember that uh, Trump's two sons were, in a way, not even part of his family for a very long time. He only sort of reconnected with them once his political career took off. Um, uh, to me. That would be extremely unlikely, and uh, there would be, for sure, some sort of reaction in the rest of the Republican Party to one of the sons trying to take over. Now, if Trump himself somehow wanted to make a comeback, that's a whole different story. Uh, you might know that in American history, there's only one case of a president who won an election, uh, served a full term, lost an election, and then was reelected again. Uh, a second time, and that was uh, Grover Cleveland in the uh, in the late 1800s, and uh, you know that was a time of tremendous um, political, uh, uh, we'll call it division in the United States. So really, one following upon the the sort of Reconstruction era in the U.S. Um, there there was tremendous tremendous political division in the United States in those days. So uh, it was only done once. And um, I would say given Trump's age and given the sort of instant news uh, requirements of the media, that once Trump is out of power uh, and has to wait four long years to try to sort of make a comeback, I think he'll be forgotten uh, you know, as a political entity by that time. Besides, his legal troubles will eventually catch up with him, and uh, he may end up, uh, if not in jail, then certainly um, having to pay big fines and being discredited. Uh, because once he's out of power, remember, all the secrets of the White House come out. Everyone's going to write a book. Everyone's going to be on TV uh, telling the so-called real truth about Donald Trump. And, um, you know, it will be something to engage people for a long time. So I think all the dirty laundry will be uh, aired and uh, it's hard to see a comeback in that sense. Uh, certainly his wife is not interested whatsoever in having him come back to the White House. Uh, uh, you know, I don't, think she, I don't think she'll be long gone by then because uh, she knows where her bread is buttered, but she certainly would oppose another uh, attempt by Trump to take over. And his children, Without Trump himself uh, being uh, sort of strong, his children have nothing to stand on. There's no political experience. There's no nothing. So I don't think so. Okay, there's another question by an anonymous attendee. Can tr Trump legally pardon himself? Uh, you know what? It's a great question and everyone is asking it and I don't think anybody really knows for sure. Um, what is for sure is that the president has pretty well unlimited pardoning um, uh, powers. The only exception is that he can't pardon, um, uh, he can't pardon uh, I, if, for some sort of ongoing criminal activity, uh, he can't pardon someone for that. And um, I believe this is, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing in a certain way. 
So I'm not sure that he could pardon himself. And I don't know if anybody knows. Um, you know, he can try it and see what happens. But, you know, of course, in a certain way, pardoning himself is admitting that he did something wrong. And he feels he never did anything wrong. Remember, he just said this today. He said, well, I made a perfect speech. So I don't see why anyone is criticizing me or holding me responsible. In order to pardon himself, he has to admit that he did something wrong. And clearly he's not in any frame of mind to admit he ever did anything wrong in his whole life. Because that would show he's weak. I have a question for you, Mr. Dwaskin. Sure. Do you think Trump acts the way that he acts because he has deep mental issues or because he's just a sore loser? Oh, my goodness. You know, you would need a uh, psychiatrist uh, or psychologist to, to really understand that question. It's, it's an excellent question. It really is. Because, as I said before, it's hard to know if he's playing a role, if he's acting all the time, uh, if he's manipulating uh, the public and manipulating the media. Is he really convinced that his lies are not lies? Is he living himself in a kind of an alternate reality? You know, like somebody who's schizophrenic or somebody who has, uh, you know, mental block, uh, blackouts. Um, it, it's hard to or it's hard to really know. Or is he just a master manipulator uh, who thinks every move in advance uh, out and uh, j j sort of has a, a game plan to uh, fool the people? You know, um, I'll go back to Abraham Lincoln's, uh, you know, famous. Uh, aphorism which is you know you can fool some of the people all of the time and all of the people some of the time but you can't fool all the people all the time and i think um, that statement applies to trump you know people have finally figured out uh you know that the emperor has no clothes let's put it like that so it's you know and and his guiltiness by the way it's such a good question because if everything's come to court and and people uh, and Trump is judged, uh, people will ask that question exactly. Does he really know what he's doing? Um, uh, what is his mental state? Because your mental state is what determines whether you've committed a crime or not. If you're not mentally responsible, then you can't be held criminally responsible. So in that way, it's a really good question and nobody really knows, I would say. You know, it, uh, it makes us in a way so grateful in Canada that, you know, we have a good functioning democracy just as the United States had. But the, the, the key is that we don't have the divisions and the bitter divisions that happen in the United States. And um, to, to live in two different worlds uh, is something which is so frightening because... Um, if you can't agree on the basic facts, then you can't agree on everything that follows from there. And, uh, and that's, and, and, and Trump did the worst possible thing by not, um, by not uh, uh, sort of uh, acquiescing or ascertaining that Biden won the election. And therefore he's maintaining this split and these two different worlds, which you know, like I say, eventually the chickens come home to roost. And if, if ever the United States is in a future crisis and it needs national unity, uh, if it doesn't have it because half the population feel the president is not legitimate, 
then uh, only bad things could result from that. Okay, I see one more question. It says, sure. what about Trump and his neighbors in Florida? Oh, Trump and his neighbors in Florida. <laughs> well, I could tell you this, <laughs> that, um, um, well, it's a good question. Let's, let's approach this in a few different ways. Um, you know, in, in general, in general, if you look at the election results, the people who have, the, the more education you have, the less likely you were to vote for him. Um, the uh, people over 65, Trump lost that vote in this particular election. Um, when it comes to people who are ultra wealthy, uh, many people did support Trump because, uh, you know, they liked all of the tax advantages that he gave them. But many people didn't because they know that, uh, you know, America, you know, needs a kind of a more fair distribution of wealth. And, um, you know, many people, including uh, Bill Gates, signed letters saying that the rich should be taxed more. Um, his neighbors, his actual neighbors in Mar-a-Lago, were very put out by the fact that the president was um, using Mar-a-Lago, uh, his estate in Palm Beach as his sort of headquarters. And every time he was there, the police shut off the whole road and it was impossible to get to their houses. And the airport was shut down for hours uh, before and after his plane was landing. So they're happy that he's out of office because their lives can go back to normal in that, in that way. Um, uh, you will see once he's out of power, how quickly his supposed friends uh, turn on him. I think that's a good prediction that I would give you. Uh, I think I saw something on my screen, but it just disappeared. Did you see something like that, Angela? Something like? Uh, yes, it's a, it's a suggestion. Yeah. Uh, for a talk. Go ahead. What's the suggestion? It says, would you have any uh, interest in giving a talk on indigenous peoples of Canada and America in general? Yes, I would. Uh, but I believe I did. Uh, for, for those, um, you know, for those of you see, I have no idea, Angela, how many people uh, uh, sort of are new to this um, um, broadcast and how many people follow all the time, but we're now in, um, we're, we're, we're now in January, and I believe I gave a talk like that, perhaps it was last July, but if my, if the listeners want to hear that, and the talk that I gave was only on the indigenous of Canada, uh, and not on the indigenous of the United States, but if you'd like to hear something like that, I'd be glad to do it uh, because it is an important subject. On that subject, maybe I can just close, and this has nothing to do with Trump or anything, but I just read a most interesting article today that um, when it comes to the COVID vaccinations, uh, the Cherokee Nation, which is located in mostly in Oklahoma, but also a bit in North Carolina, have decided that since there are only... 2,000 people left who could fluently speak Cherokee uh, and they already lost 30 of them to COVID, 
that they would give priority vaccination to anybody who could speak Cherokee fluently. Uh, interesting, you know, how you choose who's going to get a COVID shot. And for the nation, they said, well, we have to preserve our fluent speakers because if they die, uh, our whole sort of culture and history uh, in our native language will be gone. And we want these people to teach and to inspire other people to keep up or to learn the language and to, to speak it well. Uh, so that, that was the, the, the decision that they made. And even if the people don't meet the other criteria, in other words, whatever age criteria they've decided or, or you know, being public servants or anything like that, they decided that the first people to get the vaccine um, will be the native speakers. And they made a list of them. They have a list of who they are. And uh, so they're going to vaccinate them. So that not that interesting? Let me uh, just finish by saying that this isn't over, uh, that up until the inauguration of the president, there is really extreme danger in the United States that there could be, God forbid, an assassination attempt on the president or the vice president, that there could be riots and mayhem uh, leading up to the inauguration uh, by uh, people who are diehard uh, supporters and armed uh, vigilantes and other sort of white nationalists. I would also point out, interestingly enough, that because the uh, sort of uh, country and the press have taken this so badly, uh, that the people who uh, participated in this are all of a sudden blaming Antifa, which is supposedly the left-wing uh, uh, militants, for what happened in Washington. And needless to say, of course, they were not even there. Uh, so uh, it, it kind of says on the one hand, look, we're so proud of what we did. But on the other hand, when people say this is a bad thing, they say, oh, it must have been Antifa who were, who were you know, infiltrating uh, the good patriots to carry out this mayhem, which of course is another lie. But it's a lie that could be spread by, you know, uh, President Trump might even uh, mention this at one point. People say, people say that the left wing were really responsible for this. And this lie could get then repeated on, on his media. And, you know, so it goes. So let's sort of keep our fingers uh, crossed that nothing else happens bad. But it is really a time for extreme tension in the U.S. And... Um, Let's hope that between now and January 20th, nothing serious uh, goes on. Uh, so I want to thank you all again. And, uh, you know, I will do, uh, you know, depending on what happens during the week, um, I think I, maybe I will try to present uh, something on the indigenous uh, people of North America. And um, so thank you again for listening. And uh, I'll see you all next week.